Welcome back to Dime Comic Bros Podcast. Welcome back to Dime Comic Bros Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob. I'm your host, Colin, with Jacob and Spencer. I'm going to have an anxiety attack if you keep doing that. (laughs) Holy crap. Uh, This is the first episode of season season three. (laughs) And I am going to host this episode for the new episode of episode one of season three. All right. Well, Spencer, let's go drink because Colin's doing this episode. (laughs) I'm going to... I'm ready for drinks. My toes are going to curl, like scrunch through your floorboards at this point. You've been doing that this whole episode. No, I mean I'm going to break your floor with my toes. I love how you think you're that strong. It's a it's a joke. It's clearly a joke. And is, he, I, is he special? Are I'm you special because I have sarcasm in my voice? I'm not I don't here know. anymore. Do you have sarcasm in your voice? I don't know. Do you? Do you? Do you? Jacob, who's, who's gaslighting who at this point? I left to drink. Colin's doing this episode. Why by Colin make that might cost more than a ton? Come meet the brothers who are here to waste your time. So, uh, yeah. starting off with some news, uh, we do have uh, a bit of sadness to start off uh, this episode. Uh, Marvel Comics pauses to reflect upon the life and career of Eisner award-winning comic book artist Tim Sale, a penciler, inker, and letterer who is widely known for his many collaborations with Jeff Loeb, many of which became instant classics. During his career at Marvel, he worked on several memorable miniseries, including Daredevil Yellow, one of my favorites, Mm. Spider-Man Blue, Hulk Gray, and Captain America White. He lived to be 66 years old. DC is deeply saddened by the loss of Tim Sale, a wonderfully gifted artist and kind soul. The entire DC family is heartbroken at the news of Tim's passing, said Jim Lee, DC chief creative officer and publisher. Tim was an extraordinary artist who was masterful at storytelling and panel layouts, and his compositions were second to none. I was always so impressed and inspired by his use of lighting and shadows, which infused his work with foreboding gravitas and dramatic noir sensibilities. Tim was born in Ithaca, New York in 1956. He attended the School of Visual Arts in New York City and started his comics career in 1983, working for independent publishers. At DC, he teamed up with writer Jeff Loeb on a revival of The Challengers of the Unknown. The pair formed a long-lasting partnership and created a memorable series of Batman stories, including Batman the Long Halloween, an era and character-defining arc. Tim's dynamic and highly stylized artwork quickly made him a fan favorite. Tim and Jeff went on to create some of DC's top-selling series, including Batman Dark Victory and Superman for All Seasons. This year just keeps getting worse, and I want it to end. Uh, Tim was taken far, far too soon. Um, and this one does actually hurt, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been meaning to get into that run. Daredevil Yellow, Hulk Gray, uh, Spider-Man Blue, and Captain America White? They're all really good. Yeah. I've only started the uh, Daredevil Yellow. Like, I finished that one. That was fantastic. And I want to get into Gray Hulk. Yellow and Blue are my favorites out of the two. I just... Um, like is it blue Spider Man? Yeah, Spider Man blue. Spider Man blue. Hulk gray. Yeah. Hulk gray. Captain America white. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I've been eyeballing them on Amazon, but it's like, it's always a weird like, two hundred dollars for the paperback kind of deal. It's like yeah. I, there's no no place to find them. So um, I bought a couple of my copies at Jetpack a while Same. back. So I don't know if they they're still in publication. Hmm. frankly not to be cynical about it but they're probably going to go back into publishing real soon at this rate with how companies tend to do these things which blows but it'll mean you can get your hands on it a little easier well moving on exclusive from hollywoodreporter.com lady gaga is in early talks to star opposite joaquin phoenix in director todd phillips's sequel to joker the Oscar-winning $1 billion grossing 2019 Warner Brothers hit based on the DC villain that brought out all the neckbeards. If a deal is made, Gaga would play Harley Quinn. However, this new Quinn exists in a different DC universe than Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn, who most recently appeared in 2021's The Suicide Squad, as well as several other films that brought out a mixed crowd, to be honest. Some chads, some more neckbeards. There are some weird people. But wait, that's not all. Sources say the sequel is also a musical. Alright, I'm in. Yeah, if it has Lady Gaga as Harley and it's a musical, it's okay. But the question, the resounding question is, what constitutes as a musical? Does it have one or two 
musical pieces, or is it like every 10 minutes is a new song? That's true. That they're performing. Who knows? I think we'll find out. The only good musical... Mm, correction. The only musical I enjoyed was... Beauty and the Beast. La La Land. La La Land does slap hard. La La Land slaps hard, not just with, like, the music's great, but um, it hits in the feels just right. For sure. With the music, and it doesn't even feel like the music overshadows the whole movie. That's Which the- is the only... If Joker 2 does it like that... That's the only acceptable way for that movie to go, in my opinion. I Otherwise, I think it's dog shit. I agree. I'm hoping. I'm thinking that's what at least the goal is. It may not end up turn out that well, but that is the point of. So I like the idea of musicals, but I don't like most of them. Mm-hmm. I have I have more that I like than just the one. But like, the, like you were saying, when it blends seamlessly between, when I don't even notice I'm watching a musical. That's when they're doing it great. Not because yes. there's no music, but because it's so integrated into the choreography and the scripting in general. It's not forced emotions. Exactly. How musical should work is that it's supposed to like amplify the emotions that certain characters are having, but it's not supposed to be forced amplification. It's supposed to be like, this. oh, this is literally how they feel exactly. inside their head right now. And that's the thing, is Harley Quinn, in adaptations and in the comics, is pretty notorious for having a little bit of a dancey dancey mm-hmm. musical brain so i i'm thinking not saying that's what they're doing but i'm thinking that's what they're thinking and i hope that that turns out well i hope that's what they're thinking this but makes me have more faith that it's not just a sequel to be a sequel yeah have you considered the 1992 masterpiece aladdin i think we're excluding most disney animated movies because those are all musicals <laughs> <laughs> and those are all up and down Fine, just oh, ruin my joke. I'm gonna ruin. I'm gonna ruin, ruin your butthole. With what? A ruined asshole, probably. <laughs> that wouldn't ruin his asshole. He's shat out so much more than that. We'll that little, that little pencil. I'll see a magic trick with this pencil. <laughs> Speaking of neck beards, <laughs> so. <laughs> it wasn't funny until you started licking. Yes, I know. From. MSN.com, one week after exploding Gentalia in its season three premiere and and increasing viewership by 17% from season two's debut, The Boys, has been renewed for a fourth season at Amazon. While The Boys star Carl Urban previously spilled the fourth season beans when he said at Variety's SXSW studio on March 12th that he was shooting The Boys through the end of the year, well after production had already wrapped on season three, Friday's renewal marks the official season four pickup from Amazon. Ever since I heard about season three coming out and people like hero over it, um, I was like, okay, fine, I guess I'll pick it back up. Because surprisingly enough, this is one of the shows that I'm like, this might actually be too much for me. And I'm usually with the, t- I'm okay with the too much. But it would, it's, I think it's the sounds that get me. The sounds is what makes it too much for me sometimes. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But I got, I'm on season two now, episode five. So I'm excited yeah. for more sh- shows. I'm pretty stuff. sure season two was a much big, better improvement over the first season. Mm-hmm. The yeah. first season was okay, but the second season did what it did well better. Mm-hmm. I agree. It, That's how it should be with shows. Well, yeah. It felt like it had to, it didn't have to try quite as hard to get its shocks. Yeah. One, also partially just kind of get used to it uh, to an extent, and then you're able to focus on like the other storytelling elements aside from the shock value stuff. Um, I am almost done with season three because it's still airing. Um, I think season, I think it might tap out at five seasons, just judging by like book length. I hope so. I think would probably be a good end to it, so that's cool. From Deadline.com, in celebration of 60 years of the Spider-Man comic book character and 20 years of Spider-Man films, Sony announced that a fan cut of its massive hit Spider-Man No Way Home, dubbed Spider-Man No Way Home, the more fun stuff version, will hit theaters this Labor Day holiday in the United States and Canada with added and extended scenes. Other companies will be added soon, according... Other countries will be added soon, according to a post on so- Sony's social media. I don't care. I'm overstimulated, and I want to die. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. What is this fan cut? What is the purpose of this fan cut? What does it do? More money. No shit. Because the they basically, they barely had a script when they shot. Like, they had a script technically, but almost everything was constantly riffing all the time. That's why there's so many deleted scenes, is because they just kind of showed up on set. 
So they took all the deleted scenes and then fixed the pacing of the movie? Uh, Doubt, but, you know, that... Because they can get another gajibajillion dollars from Spider-Man stands. That's that's really why. I guess I'm asking, why should I go see this? What is the point of it? What am I going to see and not see that's different from the original? Nothing. I'm not going to do it unless I'm, like, blasted. You're such a freaking... No, I hate this movie. I'm not going to You're the one saying, why should I watch this? I'm saying I don't see a viable reason and I agree with you. hated the first cut before it even came out. Yes. Yes. I haven't even seen it. Nice. I'm not a pleb like you guys. I just had the movie spoiled for me on Twitter and now I know everything about it, so I'm better than you. Yeah, Uh, exactly. uh, Fucking eat my ass. No. Is it mine? No. No. Jacob. I'm trying to make a boomer joke and it's not coming to me. Nice. Exclusive from HollywoodReporter.com. Wonder Man is the latest Marvel superhero to get the screen treatment. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings filmmaker Dustin Daniel Cretton has teamed up with Andrew Guest, a writer-producer on comedies such as Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Community, to tackle a live-action series featuring the longtime Marvel character. Guest will serve as head writer of the series, while Cretton will executive produce and possibly direct an episode or more. Cretton is working via his overall deal with Marvel Studios, signed late last year in the glow of Shang-Chi's success. The two will also act as co-creators for the series. Development for what is being tilt yeah. development for what is being titled Wonder Man is in the early stages, but if things crackle, cameras could be rolling in 2023. Finally, they've been trying to get a Wonder Man project going for like 8 years now, at least. <laughs> and there have been a bajillion teases and none of them have panned out, so Cuz it's like he shows up in the crises and then that's pretty much it. Or not the crises, but the, the big events. Yeah. And then the Marvel crises. Yeah, he doesn't have an ongoing like I even reading so many comic books, I don't even know what his powers are. Yeah, besides it's being weird. He's super integral to a lot of those events, too. Yeah. That's the weird part. Wacky, wacky, my dude. From DCComics.com, this September, Tim Drake's story continues in his own Robin series, Tim Drake, Robin, on sale September 27th. Spinning out of Batman Urban Legends and the Tim Drake Pride special, writer Megan... Fitzmartin continues the next chapter of Tim's story with fan-favorite artist Riley Rosmo, Harley Quinn. This kinetic, high-energy series pulls Tim's center stage as a mystery over a year in the making takes shape. A new villain who's been... A new villain who's been hounding Tim from afar decides to take things up close and personal, putting Bernard and everyone else Tim cares about in peril. All that, and Tim finally carves out a corner of Gotham City just for himself, and sets up shop in his very own Murder Shack houseboat? I nutted. I have a question about the artist, Riley Rosmo, because it says she's known for Harley Quinn, but which one? The current one, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, Super hype, super duper hype, blah blah blah. I don't need to elaborate on this. It's a good pairing and i like tim drake that variant is way too fucking horny what the fuck there's a lot of really horny variants uh the variants are turning tim drake into dick grayson and i find it very funny getting all the gaze out of the woodwork um i'm really excited for this i really like that one this one's good also still one of my favorite that looks kind of sean murphy ish it's sort of because of the shading it's jimenez the the chad who was also going to be drawing tim drake for a while because tim is in the main batman run which is about to get moving again i'm super excited for this tim's actually getting invested in spencer happy all of the robins have their own books now which is great because there's a nightwing book red hood is in the task force z book right now which is basically just a red hood book Tim has his own book now, and is also in the main Batman book, and then Damien has his own run. So, like, this is great. And, and there's the Bat-Gorals. So the Bat-Gorals. So it's great. Am coming. Wow. From Marvel.com, today Marvel Entertainment announced the Planet of the Apes franchise is returning to Marvel Comics with all new stories starting in early 2023. 
The legendary science fiction franchise has spanned over five decades with media including comics, books, films, television series, video games, and toys. Marvel Comics and Planet of the Apes have a deep history that goes back over 40 years. Marvel first published Planet of the Apes stories in 1974, and in 1975, Marvel published Adventures of the Planet of the Apes, full-color adaptations of the iconic Planet of the Apes films. We're thrilled to welcome Planet of the Apes back to the House of Ideas. Editor-in-Chief C.B. Suba... Supachow. Sibolsky. C.B. Sibolsky said... The new saga in the pipeline is going to explore the limits of what this beloved franchise has to offer through bold comic storytelling, and we look forward to setting foot on this new adventure. Details on upcoming Planet of the Apes comic book titles, collections, reprints, and creative teams will be shared at a later date. <laughs> Sorry, not excited, don't care. You're gay. You it's not Matt Reeves! Yeah, boo boo boo! Not even a little bit of interest. No! Why? Because I don't like traditional Planet of the Apes. Matt Reeves isn't traditional Planet of the Apes. It's uh, a story about did, one ape. Did it say it's based off the traditional or the it's latest very, run? It's very strongly implied based on the teaser image. It's classic Planet of the Apes. See? All right. I'm with Colin. Whenever, no, it's because... Also, just... I'm going to say this. Because it, they have a history of whoever is in control of the, of the merchandising rights. They have a history of creating more Planet of the Apes... And it's never good because they're trying to re they're trying to like redo and uh, to re redo what the original Planet of the Apes did, yeah. which is the reason why people liked it is because it was such a mystery and everything. But it's just the same thing over and over again. It's not going to get the same kick. It feels like pulp at this point. Mm -hmm. Sad monkey noises. We're banana. You're all right, but I'm still gonna probably read it. Sure, have fun. I just, I won't. Monkey. From Marvel.com. Chunky one. Yes. The wait is over. Just in time for the 40th anniversary of Miracle Man's modern era, Marvel Comics is thrilled to announce that the king himself, Neil Gaiman, and Mark Buckingham's groundbreaking Miracle Man The Silver Age Saga will return this October. The two visionary comic talents will complete their unfinished Miracle Man storyline, The Silver Age, including remastered editions of the first two published issues, complete with new artwork and bonus material. The series will follow the previously announced Miracle Man by Gaiman and Buckingham Book 1, colon, The Golden Age TPB, the new collection containing Gaiman and Buckingham's first Miracle Man series. After 30 years, fans will finally see the full, incredible story of Young Miracle Man with more to come. Young Miracle Man, the lost member of the Miracle Man family, is back. His last memories were of a 1963 world of joy and innocence. Now he's been thrust into the 21st century where his best friends have become gods and monsters. Where can a hero from a simpler time call home in this brave new world? We're back, and after 30 years away, it is both thrilling and terrifying, Buckingham said. Neil and I have had these stories in our heads since 1989, so it is amazing to finally be on the verge of sharing them with our readers. So this is definitely mostly happening now that all the legal stuff got sorted, but it's nice that this these are it's not really new. It's stuff that they had planned from decades ago that they're just finishing now. I am very excited. Because then they can maybe put the character away and leave it alone, finally. I look forward to potentially covering this on this show because we're covering the rest of Miracle Man over this upcoming season, so... Ooh, foreshadowing more, is more, foreshadowing. More content. Foreshadowing, foreshadowing, you're foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, go... <laughs> Very nice. Speaking of following up on foreshadowing, uh, we watched the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi, a Disney Plus series streaming exclusively on Disney Plus. Can Did we mention it was on Disney Plus? Suck that plus sign a little harder, please. <laughs> um, it is the finale of the six-episode miniseries, and I'm actually kind of impressed by this episode. It's Me a, too. It still has a lot of weak points, but it is... If the rest of the series was at this quality, this would have actually been worth it. Um... Summary of the story. Two space 
wizards sword fight and throw rocks at each other. That's most of it, to be fair. Yep. <laughs> and cry. And yes. cry. And it's cry. Good to we'll cry. forget about the crying. Yes. So we have the conclusion of Reva's character arc, the third sister. She wants... She, she found out the last episode... episode the last of... Last... The, <laughs> wow. The last few moments of the previous episode that uh, Vader's son is on Tatooine and she goes to go kill him because she wants to be a sneaky little stabby-wabby. And then she realizes that she shouldn't do that because then she is basically just becoming Anakin. We get some some symbolism and blah, blah. Obi-Wan's like, I'm glad you didn't do that, kiddo. What are you going to do now? And uh, Obi-Wan and Anakin fight again with a much better fight, not because the Force powers are bigger, but because the setting is utilized and the like dialogue is better and the emotions are better. And we hear Anakin's voice, and I got a little... I got a little a little, little on the inside, you know? And then they just do the ending where they do all the happy ending stuff, and now it's done. <sighs> it, was, it was so good. I loved hearing that. That whole long, like last speech of like Anakin saying, you did not kill Anakin. I did. The, and now I'm going to destroy you. The f- I really liked that because it, re- it felt like it took a lot of like pain off of Obi-Wan. Yeah. yeah. Like all that pain he was carrying through this whole show... And now it's taken off, and he's like coming into this Obi Wan of Episode Four for sure. It made it. That's what I was hoping for a lot more of in the show. Not necessarily more Vader himself, but addressing the copious amounts of trauma Obi Wan's been through, and the the switching back and forth between the the between James Earl Jones' voice and Hayden Christensen' voice mm. sounds corny in execution, but getting wrapped up in the moment, it was very nicely it was done. Perfect. It was great. Oh, and it, it was so good. When it, that was the part was you know you expect uh, at least for me I was expecting this this particular line delivery of the whatever the hell the rest of the line is, but the you know you didn't kill him, I did. I was expecting it to be Anakin voice, and then I did it in Darth Vader. Me voice. too. And they didn't do that. that. It wasn't too they, stupidly corny. It was like inconsistent. There wasn't. It was a lot of the, rhyme or reason to the it. The machine that's keeping him alive, glitching in and out. Exactly, and I like we get a little bit of the iconic Darth Vader wheezing as well. That was quite nice. The one thing I had with that fight that did bother me, that was really undercutting the pacing, was intercutting it with third sister chasing Anakin, which not Anakin, sorry, Luke Derp. We know how that's gonna end. Yeah. So that whole plot line felt kind of dumb. She's like, "I'm gonna kill the younglings because I was a youngling that almost died, and I hate Darth Vader, but I'm trying to impress it." It just didn't make sense. The whole show. To be fair, I think the last episode and this episode was a lot better on on her end, performance wise, and definitely directing wise. I think the bigger issue is that she kind of just did a lot of screaming earlier on versus the last mm-hmm. two episodes she was a lot more not contained but like conversational <laughs> uh, she was more expressive of like underlying feelings like really good contained rage versus like the first few episodes is like she she her arc is basically just anakin so anakin's arc was kind of dumb and it was fleshed out a little bit and then it made a bit more sense and it's still a little bit of a logical jump you know but like when Hayden was in those quieter moments. Like there's that one, there's that one uh, two shot of him in the Jedi Council chambers, silently staring at Padme like across mm-hmm. the thing. When it's quiet, it, it sells it so much better than just, you know. And I think that if everything, if her arc, if Reba's arc had been more clearly established from the beginning, like if it wasn't a twist that we all saw coming type deal, it would have worked a lot better. I like it mostly in this episode, but. That that chase sequence has no tension in it because we know how it's going to end, which is fine. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing to have, but intercutting that with an actual tense duel was a bad idea. Um, I really liked seeing... <sighs> Owen and Baru. Yes. I was mm. like, is it Owen? I liked seeing Owen and Baru, like, knowing Third Sister was coming to get them. And preparing and to fight. Baru is like, don't be a bitch! <laughs> I did like that. There, I love there, that. She so was well a fleshed out. badass, and it mm-hmm. was like, it made me wonder if there's a history, because they've got weapons tucked away, like, is there something 
Owen and Baru did before they became moisture farmers? I or think it's just dealing with the sand people. Yeah, it's probably like some that. of that, and then the preparation for the inevitable. They have Vader's child. They know who that. He. They know who right. he is. They're so, waiting for it. Which leads me to, what made them contenders to get Luke? Closest blood relative. Oh, they're related by blood. Uh, so yes, I'm. I'm now going to explain the family yeah, tree. Like this is the Bible. Yeah. So. Um, not okay. Not really by blood. So Edom Owen's beget, Owen's Owen. dad was Owen beget. No, yeah. Um, so you have Shmi, right? You have Shmi, and technically Palpatine's weird force sperm, but we don't talk about that part. <laughs> so you have Shmi. She mean, got yeah. married and freed by uh, <clears throat> Owen's dad. Shmi and then, came from Shmegma. Shmegma. Oh, Shmegma You're turning to me. Shmegma Shmi. Shmegma Shmi. Shmi got Shmegma from... Shmi got Palpatine Shmegma. For Shmegma. Owen is Anakin's stepbrother. Okay. Kind of. That's all I needed. Sorry. What are you doing, Hold on, bro? Yep, stepbrother. They're not blood-related. No, they're not. It's not a half-relation. So Shmi was Owen's mom, basically. And then she was, you know, taken away and killed and whatnot. So nice. it's the closest relative. And then Baru's nice. married into the family. I'm still so happy that they brought back those two actors. Mm-hmm. Even for their small they're roles, so they're good. really good. And they have very good chemistry together. But I, you know, I, I was going to make a joke about it, but then you kept talking. Um, you know, what if there's a story there? Coming soon to Disney+. Plus. <laughs> I would the, have, the the Lars Homestead, a six-episode documentary. I would have started a riot. Uh, um, I, I really like, <laughs> especially Owen moves like the original actor. Like, he put, you can tell how much work he put into watching the original content and, and reenacting it. For sure. And so even good. Just his, like, his line delivery at the beginning of the show, we all were like, this oh, is great. So but good. just the little, the stupid, dumb movie lines that you never need to actually have written out in your dialogue. But like, oh, you fight like he's yours. He's like, he is. My. That sold that infinitely more than the entirety of A New Hope did. I was that saying, did so just, much lifting. Like him coming down the stairs yeah, no, and like, moving like an old man. It's no, like, physical performance-wise, for sure. I'm agreeing. I'm saying slightly different point no, on I, Owen. I understand. I'm just it, following up. It just is like it. You know, oh, they still all look a little bit younger than they probably should. Who cares? Yep. The performance is there. The attitude is very tangible. It adds a lot more. Like now, thinking about Boba Fett going there and killing them, that was probably pretty damn rough. It wasn't just a quick one and done, I lit them on fire, they're dead. That was probably a bad, that was a nasty fight, probably. Colin made a great point, and I think he forgot about it entirely. And you were too busy puking your guts out to be like, no, actually, you're wrong. So I'm going to bring it up now. Um, When Third Sister meets Obi-Wan in the desert at the end of the episode, and she's like, I'm sorry, I was a terrible person, but I'm going to be a good person now. Um... They just lay her lightsaber in the sand. They don't even bury it. One. Two, Colin's point was that they should uh, purify the crystal and move on from there. I'm sorry. I just accidentally touched Colin's toes. Um, Purify her kyber crystal. Like, why bury it? Mm -hmm. Why? I don't get it. Because the Inquisitor lightsabers aren't theirs, and they're not their crystals. They're standard issue. She had a different lightsaber before she became an Inquisitor. When she was a Padawan, she would have already made her own lightsaber and had her own crystal. Hold on. Back up. What does it not being her crystal have to do anything where Ahsoka purified crystals that were not hers? I'm saying it would make... If I was third sister, and I wanted to turn over a new leaf, I would find it... Both options viable, but I would personally rather go either find my own original one or go make something new as this new... Maybe she wants to walk away from the Force for all we know. Hopefully we never follow her again. Um, Versus uh, the burying it thing you could have done, I guess. Or or just leave it there. I don't know. Maybe she picks it back up and we just don't see it. Like, like, the point was that she, like, physically dropped it and was like, I'm done. You know? So... Okay, for semantics' sake, sorry, I keep we keep touching toes. Why? Put your toes for away. for semantics' sake. Okay, you just got wolf. You can scooch back a little bit. Or, I think you're stupid. Um, we all know that because well, that's just a fact. So you're saying, I I would probably want to find my own crystal, or maybe find my crystal that was before. So, where are we in Star Wars? Um, after Episode Three, uh, after most of the lightsabers were burned, so all the lightsabers at the temple. We're destroyed. She can't find hers. Um, most, if not all, of the planets that had Kuiper crystals are fucking mined out to shit. Not yet. We're only ten years in. 
They're very close. They're under imperial control. Very close and and heavily armed. And against you, you have Calcastus finding his crystal. That's different. He's Calcastus. It's a video game mechanic. (laughs) It's a video game mechanic. Also, think about how um, what world we're in. All those put together, and we're also in this world of apocalypse. Things are hard to get in this whole place. Why be stupid and get rid of something you already have and not reuse it? This whole world is, we're reusing things. Reuse that fucking crystal. Well, practically speaking, you're right, obviously. But, like, she's already going through an emotional crisis and not thinking terribly clearly. I don't think she's probably thinking about that. (laughs) No, I know, but... Uh, Practically, yeah, sure, but it's... We're not watching anything practical. We're watching... No, I know. It's like a... She dropped it. We don't know where she's going. They didn't even show her, like, run off or fly yeah. off anywhere. I think she's just there holding hands with Obi-Wan. Yeah, and then the Obi-Wan leaves. I it? hope they leave it there. That would be nice. But, like, she has the world of opportunities now. Mm-hmm. I thought she could have committed suicide there for a minute. I thought she was going to seppuku herself. I, well, seppuku, I was actually hoping seppuku, she would do that. Seppuku, seppuku. I now realize that that was probably getting my hopes up, but they could have done that, and I would have seen that as fairly justified as well. Yet so. again, your hate boner is showing. I kind of don't mind her. I wouldn't mind if she comes back as a minor character in something. I don't want a third sister-specific six-episode TV show. But if she just pops in as like, hey, I'm kind of doing my own thing, like, 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 like. Put her in um, Fallen Order too. Ow! Yeah. That would, make, that would also make some sense chrono- chronologically, and it would be able to tie Cal Kestis to Obi-Wan indirectly. And she the, would be the, on a better path anyways. Sorry. <laughs> the fallen Jedi. The undercover Jedi that's always in the comics, and we've seen him for like half a second. Quinlan Vos. Thank you. Daddy. If, if she became like a Quinlan Vos thing and went way the freak out in left field and did her own thing. Like, no. just an occasional peekaboo, hey, I'm doing my own weird thing. That'd be cool. Like, nothing major. Just it's not that I don't want to see her because I don't like her. I like the arc and I do like the actress. It's the fact that I don't need to see every second of everyone's life in Star Wars, cr- like done up on footage. Like it yeah, make more, more, more characters, please move away from this time period for fuck's sake. Do High Republic, high, high, yeah, High Republic stuff, dude. I, I, I hope that show slaps so hard. I just at the end couple of sequences was nice. The like three different endings. Obi Wan visiting Leia was cute. Obi Wan getting to go say hello to Luke. He did the meme. Hello there! Yes! That Usually awesome. that's like the shit I would bitch about. Like, oh, they acknowledge the meme in the media. But George Lucas did that himself, so it's okay. Mm-hmm. Because George Lucas put that in the prequels because Obi-Wan did that in A New Hope, so it's fine. Yes. Duh. The Dummy. first time I watched it, I watched it several times because it sounded like a weird mix of Ewan and Alec. Maybe. This is voice like layered over and no. when Colin and I watched it, we watched it several more times and I think it was just Ewan. Just Probably. F- yep. impressive performance. Yes. And Uwu Qui-Gon makes me happy. Good of ending. Good ending. It's nice and I'm I wanted more Space Wizard stuff from him. Oh for sure. But leave it here. Do not make a second season. I will stab myself with a lightsaber through the torso, oh, which will yes. only which Please will keep it. me alive and will only make me want to kill people more. It'll just make you piss blood. Yeah, pretty much. I'm glad it's over. I just wish that the rest of the show was up to the same level of quality as this finale. Because the first episode and the last one were very good, but the rest of them were up and down. Um. No post credit scene and no obligatory tease of more content makes me very happy. Yep. Obi-Wan will return. In episode four, it's bitch. nice. She just what? Yeah, <laughs> that would, that's my fan edit. Leave everything alone, but right at the end of the credits, it says, "Yeah, there's a sequel. It's called The New Hope. Watch it." No, we're not doing a Darth Vader TV show. Go watch the original trilogy. Holy shit! Go read the comics. Honestly, I want to see this done in the show. No, the comics did it, and it's canon. Look I, at the comics. Go mm-hmm. read the books. Overall, mm-hmm. I'm surprised at how little Hayden we got. Yeah, me too. Actually, I heard that he might have been a somewhat late addition into the game. Like they might have done a script overhaul to add him in more so that might be mm. part of it mm. like a weird timeline of events going on behind the scenes maybe weird mm. would have been nice to see more of him but such is life I'm very happy with what we did get in terms of that stuff I'm trying to be positive no it, here, it's man. good it was all <laughs> good think, stuff I just wanted more uh, I think we should move on yes we also have a break coming up for TV shows for a while yeah we do what mm-hmm. like a month 
That means three talking points you <laughs> Bitches. Unless you want to jump onto the Miss Marvel trade. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jacob, you have yes. a book in your hand. I have You're a book. really excited to talk about I it. I am. Uh, I read Lock and Key, Crown of Shadows, which is the third volume of the trade paperbacks. I believe out of six? But don't quote me. Uh, it is a direct sequel to... It, basically, it was just an ongoing run, which I did not realize was the case. I thought it just came out as the trade paperbacks. I did not realize it was single issues, because... When this arc released, it was under a different name. <gasps> what? Different name? It was under a different name when it first released as the single issues, but they changed it to Crown of Shadows for the trade paperback. So, in this one... I found my, book, my bookmark. <laughs> um, Mom is even more alcoholic and weird demon well lady is still a dude causing shenanigans and family drama and is fighting uh, the ghost of the body that he's inhabiting and you have uh, what's her face? Kelsey? Um, lead girl I'm pretty sure her name is Kelsey uh, finds the cave that we saw on the TV shows way too early uh, there's some secrets down there about her father but we didn't really find anything. Some scary stuff happens. And then Bodhi is still bombing around the house finding keys. This one's wicked cool. It's under a rug and it's like six feet long and it's freaking huge. And it fits in the window that's nearby it in the shape oh, of a keyhole. That's whack. So his cool. older brother, who I definitely don't remember the name of, has to pick that bitch up and throw it in the window to, in the finale of the movie. Uh, of the book. <laughs> of the book. Because bad demon well lady, that's a dude, uh, finds the shadow key and turns everybody's shadows into weird demon things that's trying to kill the family. And then near the end of this book, all the weird shadow demons morph into one big shadow demon. Megazord demon shadow? Yes! And then that's why older brother needs to use the giant key. It splits the house right down the corner, and he crawls out as a big giant that fights the giant shadow demon thing. Okay, that's cool. It's wicked cool! I loved this book. There's like 10 pages of full-page <laughs> shadow demon giant fight against giant older brother. And it... So just gives weird. this story so much room to breathe. It felt so cool. This was probably my favorite book out of the series so far. Nice, nice. Oh. Um, but that was pretty much it. Oh, uh, they also find the... The Quran. No. You're close, though. It's the key that you use in the cabinet that heals whatever is put inside it. The mending key. Oh. The fix-it Felix's hammer key. And it was pretty cool because Mom is the one playing with this key. And <laughs> she's clearly the most broken character out of everybody. And she's like, oh, it's weird that this cabinet keeps changing shapes and sizes to fit the thing that's inside it getting broken. And she didn't climb into it. She put her dead husband's ashes in there and thought that would fix things. So that was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but I guess that's probably the point of this whole series. And why I didn't like it at first is because it is so intentional in showing the character flaws and making them relatable to the reader but also kind of obvious. And it's just a side of horror that is probably higher class horror that would appeal to Spencer. <laughs> but I like the schlocky, ooh, scary man with a machete. <laughs> chasing, machete. <laughs> chasing teenagers. Like, that's my kind of horror. But I still love this. This was the best book of the series so far. I'm about halfway through it. Um, cover price is not listed. 
That is odd. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's because it's the edition that was in the box set, which was, yeah. I think, a hundred bucks for all of it. I, I want to say eighty, but it's av- it was available on Amazon for like eighty bucks. but oh, okay. I bought it cover price in a store. That's my favorite sure. alternate cover, by the way, because it shows that mom is broken. That's very wow. nice. Wow. <laughs> so, just weird tangent. So, I remember we were talking about that, uh, the John Romita Jr.'s Spider-Man stuff at the moment, and him having bad proportions and whatnot. And yes. How doing Spider-Man in motion without getting his anatomy wrong is really hard for seemingly everybody. And then you just got Daniel Warren Johnson over here just nailing it. I know. Like, he's fucking upside down, and it still looks fucking great. Like, I don't... Uh... Like, dude, nice. still nails the so fantastic. I, I think what, uh, just a little tangent, I think the problem that people have, like artists have, with trying to draw Spider-Man without having bad proportions is they're trying to um, capture the same pizzazz that the original Spider-Man had where he had really freaky, like, weird, awkward proportions because that's how Stanley wanted him drawn. Uh, he wanted him to have... Uh, odd poses like how a spider kind of would like just weird uncomfortable yeah. poses and people are still trying to like capture that initial like awe but it can't be captured properly anymore so you have to go with more modern yeah stuff um faux shizzle trade paperbacks are 20 bucks for these Jesus. You got it for free. I did. Because, because you lo- you you won No Nut November. Yes. And I bought you books. And we get to do that again this year, right? Yes. 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 Every year. Yes, forever. Yes. Until we die. Perfect. Um, so you'll the... win every year. No. Oof. Yeah, there needs to be a challenge to this. <laughs> you need <laughs> to be the challenger that approaches me. I'll jerk you off and you'll lose. That would count. That sounds worth it. The one book that collects all these books is $68. Actually, $69 on nice. Amazon right now. So... Uh, being kind of iffy iffy on the the series, I would say sixty nine dollars for it as one book is a pretty sweet deal. So check it out. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, I read Talon uh, by James Tynion the Fourth Complete Collection. Uh, so it's eighteen issues. There are seventeen main issues, and then there is a crossover issue with Birds of Prey, uh, uh, which at the time was Birds of Birds of Prey issue twenty one. Uh, so this was written in 2012 through 2014. This was a follow-up, sort of, to the Knight and Court of Owls... The Court and... and the, the, uh, Court of Owls storyline shit that happened in Batman. This happened shortly afterwards. It was vaguely guided by Scott Steiner, but James Tynan did the writing. And most of the pencils were done by Gilla March in the first half, who is another one of my very nice Batman artists I like. Basically, what if one of the Talons didn't want to be a Talon? Pretty much. <clears throat> Whoa. Yes. That's deep. So uh, there's this character who just... Ba- it's basically one big redemption arc. He gets, he makes his own weird, funky Talon outfit. He gets manipulated by different Talons who are trying to screw over other Talons. And they're like, no, he's the real organization. I was rejected by the... Or-. It's just infighting, basically. Um, the concept is really cool, but a lot of the execution after the first six issues or so gets really rough. There it is! The idea was great, but the execution was toxic. It's mm. mid. Um, I like <sighs> the fact that there was minimal backstory in terms of the character himself. We get a few sequences of him as a kid. He also ended up near a circus. Big surprise. Uh, we have his abusive household. He was thrown in like a dog cage, blah, blah, blah. But it's fairly minimal. It's it's useful. Um, and then he tries to protect these people that he came across. And he has a family and whatever. The character himself is a pretty straightforward, mildly reckless, heroic character. So he's like Nightwing, but without the charisma, kind of. Without being having a sexy ass. Exactly. I mean, the dude's kind of hot, but it's like it's not like Nightwing hot, you know? Like, it's just, he's a hero with slight judgment problems. That's about it. He's not as, he's conflicted, but it's never played out really well. At least for my liking, it the the run that tends to be pretty light in tone in comparison to what you'd think. Um, Gillum March was really good. This was years before he got super popular um, and it, it improved his work. But he was also really good. Can see some of the earlier parts of his work, which is cool. The characters otherwise are basically all just caricatures, which was lame and boring. 
Uh, and then there's one really cool character who, man, do I wish was handled better. It's, it's the um, butcher of, I don't remember the name. Basically, he was a Talon who is a hulk of a man, like ginormous. And he was a serial killer before he became a Talon. So he's like crazy. And then he kept killing people at, like as a serial killer while he was a Talon. So the court can barely control him. He's from like 300 years ago. They had him on ice. It's really weird. The character is really cool, but the design is ass. And the way he's represented, he's about the size of Bane, but nice. just muscle, no juice. It's dumb. He's too big. Like his hand is like the size of someone else's torso. It's just not that the proportions are wrong. This character's just too damn big. It makes no sense. Uh, but he's like insanely sadistic. Does a lot of really really fucked up stuff. Just wish some of the physical presentation was done a little better. And then there's this little bit at the end, even though the book says it's entirely done by James Tynan, there's like four issues at the end, which are an entirely new arc taken over by uh, Tim Seeley, who is, I keep bumping into his stuff and I've never reviewed it well. Um, and it gets infinitely worse from there, it has no real relevance to the previous issues and it was a major, major fucking disappointment. I bought this for $40 from Jetpack I would recommend, so there's two trades was how it was originally released. There's two like 10-ish issue trades. I would honestly recommend the first trade and then just leave the rest of it alone because that's when it was pretty damn good. It just keeps going downhill and then the writer switches and the artist, the art gets even worse and it just, yeah. So find it on a sale. I don't know if you find this book for like 20 bucks, it might be worth it, but eh, wasn't super great. Colin, the fuck you doing? Uh, I recently watched American Psycho for the first time. Oh, for the first time? Yep, never seen it before. I just know the memes. So, uh, <laughs> The memes are great. Everyone knows the story of American Psycho, even though they haven't watched it. It's about this, uh, man who is a businessman who seems like an accountant. It's kind of difficult to even understand what's going on in this business. It's like a generic businessman, right? Generic businessman who, like, loves it to take care of himself, and he's into music, weird music. Um, and he just wants a perfect life, pretty much, and whatever, but he can't help but kill people. And you see him going through this movie and getting with girls, and sometimes you see him kill them, and sometimes you see implication of death, because one time he takes his blonde, uh, out on a date, and then the next scene, it's the next morning, and he has a lock of her hair. He's playing with it and whatever, and almost gets caught. Um, it's very strange how the movie works, because you're watching it and you don't entirely understand what the point is. At first, I'm trying to interpret it, this movie as a movie that is implying that, um, society sees men like this every day. Like, you, more, more likely than not, if you're like a big city, you'll find someone who's just like this, and you see how they act and you can see that they're not even hiding who they are everyone knows that this person exists but they don't do anything about it they either hide it cover it up or ignore it altogether and they just get away with it or there's just people doing wrong but people don't care essentially and it's weird um i don't understand the big hubbub about this movie other than the funny meme parts. I don't want to watch this movie again. It made me very uncomfortable. Like, I hated almost every minute of watching this movie. Huh. It's not like, it's not bad as in, like, a bad movie. It's just, like, I didn't actually see a point in this movie being made. Same. Other than like, it being... I was watching... Uh, other than it's, like, trying to un make you uncomfortable. I didn't finish it because I was, like, there's... It felt like Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Where it's, like, there's no point to this. It's just telling a story, but the story's going nowhere. Yeah, it's just really bad, you know? So, I mean, the movie's well-made. Yeah, it's it well-made, and there's a lot of things I've liked about it, like like cinematography-wise and, like, how things were, I guess, recorded or somewhat, but at the very end, like, he got, gets to this point where there's too many people that seen him kill people, and he almost killed this cat because he thought this, like, um, ATM, this ATM said, feed me the cat. I was like, what the fuck? So it, sometimes it's almost like you don't know what's real and what's not. And he kills people and he almost killed his cat, killed this random lady that stopped him from killing the cat. And 
He just goes on this rampage, and then he calls his lawyer, supposed lawyer, and is, like, crying and laughing on the phone that he did something. And then he tries to meet the lawyer next day, and the lawyer's like, I don't know who you are. And then he's like, I killed Paul Allen. The guy's freaking out. He's like, that's impossible. I had a date. I, I uh, had dinner with him the other day. And it's like, is this guy, did this guy just, like, help him hide the murder? And also, like, he went to the apartment of Paul Allen, the man he killed, and was trying to look through, and it's like, why is this whole place not Paul Allen's apartment anymore? Like, there's nothing in here that's Paul Allen's, and you check, like, the closet where he hid something, and this lady's like, oh, are you my, are you, uh, seeing the house, the open house? And he's like, no, I'm not, and she's like, oh, and she's like, I think you should leave, and he said, this is Paul Allen's house, and, he, and she's like, no, I think you're mistaken, and he's like, freaking out, and she's like, I think you should leave and never come back again, so it's like, Impl implying that everyone's in on it and helping him. And at the very end, he even says, there was no point to anything at all. I got away with everything. And it's like, what's the whole fucking point of this movie? It just makes me uncomfortable. And it's just a movie out there that like narcissists can be like, oh, that's me. That's me for sure. Nice opinion. Now let's see Paul Allen's. Yeah. <laughs> There have been so many of those movies where it's like, there's no point to this. A few credits. And it's like, oh, yeah. They piss me off. And they make Spencer love himself. So. Yes. Because <laughs> I've texted him, like, after everyone, like, oh, I hate this movie. He's like, I love it. I love it. He's staring at me intensely. He's ready to kill me. No. I'm so hot. I want you to read that. I want you to tell me about that book that you read. So, I go to Jetpack, right? And I say, hi, Kyle. I'm looking for something. Greenhouse, number two, please. And he says, okay. Clickety-clack. Clickety-clack. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, does O mean it's been canceled, sir? <laughs> He's like, no. It was postponed several times. I'm like, yeah, I knew, knew that. They came out two weeks ago, but I had the vid. I couldn't come out and get it, so I'm here now. Gibby. And he says, it was postponed to August 31st or something. <laughs> so after talking with him for a little bit, he says that DC kind of just does what it wants with its release schedule with Black Label books. There's no rhyme or reason to it. They more often than not get postponed um, but there's no reason for the postpones, usually. So they just kind of do what they want. I said, well, I'm gonna set myself for some more heartbreak. Please sell me this Aquaman Andromeda Black Label book number one. <laughs> Which he did for $7. Um, <sighs> the timeline is kind of all over the place. It does some of the weird, we're here doing a mission, stop, rewind, here's how we got to the mission, fast forward, monster attacking, rewind, here's how we got to the monster attacking. It's kind of annoying, but you can follow it pretty easily. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, this story is written by Ram V, and it's arted by Christian Ward. I had to get the credits out of the way first. Um, the second page is pretty nice. Andromeda. Wow. Ooh. Um, so pretty colors, um, interesting line work, uh, but the visuals, it's always tough because it's like, what should an Aquaman comic book look like? I don't know. What? It, it changes all the time. So there's a lot of blue in this and that's a good start. After that, it's pretty soft. There's a lot of, I want to say like neon, I guess, neon colors. So they'll do like a lot of bright pinks or oranges or, or things like that mixed in with the blue. Um, I think trying to evoke like a coral look. A large portion of this book is based on a submarine that's exploring. And so the submarine portions feel a bit like Event Horizon or Alien or Sphere kind of, where it's just a group of marines or whatever, scientists on an expedition in a thing in space, and there's weird science powering the boat, and they don't really know why they're there or what they're going to encounter, and it is the perfect setup for a monster story, right? 
So it kind of feels like a retread of things we've seen plenty of times. All of a sudden, near the end of the book, the Kraken attacks their support ship that's on the surface and just wrecks things. And then um, Aquaman is finally in this story, um, five pages from the end of the book, hmm. where he chases away the Kraken in the best shot of the book. Ooh. That is fantastic Ooh. right there. So good. Such pretty colors, some deep blues, some blacks layered on top, on top of the deep blues, and it's just a little Aquaman with plenty of tentacles that he's chasing away because tentacles is bad. <sighs> I beg to differ. And then it finishes with the lead scientist uh, doing a backstory of her father dying, and it kind of wraps up with some philosophical stuff about the old man in the ocean or something that the book started with. It's pretty lame. That's my point. It's pretty freaking lame. I'll probably buy the other two books in the series. You guys feel free to borrow, but I was very underwhelmed. Damn. There's one F word, and it easily could have been avoided. I have no idea why this is rated 17+. plus. It is so tame. Probably just to get the black label on it, yeah, so it can legit. be like clearly excluded from main continuity. Which is very dumb because nothing happens. Why is everyone over or underwhelmed? Why can't you just be whelmed? Wow. Young the Aster, o- obligatory young Jeff, young young oh, young Jeffrey, young young, 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 <laughs> young Justice reference. Colin. You. Oh, it's me now? Yes. Yeah, oh, bitch. I forgot. We're going uh, cockwise now. I read Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Oh, no. Oh, no. The comic adaptation. Oh, oh no. <laughs> what do you guys know knowing about? It's not only an adaptation, it's a comic adaptation, so they cut even more than the movie. I mean, you're right. Um... <laughs> It is a six-issue miniseries, technically, uh, that came out in 2017, and then this collected edition also includes a Cassian, Andor, and K2SO one-shot in the back end, which was their first meeting. Um, So you guys know, I like like Rogue One a lot, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, This book wasn't great. Shocker. I know, right? So it's kind of an inevitable problem. cutting a screenplay down to a comic script is hard i can imagine it's a lot of cut content especially for a movie like rogue one which is pretty well known for being really jump cutty around all over the place in terms of like locations and time and whatnot so the pacing is atrocious um i don't know how to do it any better so i'm not throwing major stones but the pacing is really rough the dialogue um, and expressions and stuff that is chosen to uh, like remain, and then the stuff that they included from like the original script that wasn't actually in the movie is a weird balance of things. And what is I think the worst part of basically any like comic adaptation of a filmed anything, um, almost all of the gags just like don't exist because setting up a joke in a comic is hard. <laughs> Like, the amount of panel space you have to dedicate to small visual gags is tricky. Yep. Um, unless you, like, because I've watched the movie. The reason I can read this is because I've watched the movie and I've read the script. If I just read this, it would be pretty hard to follow in terms of sequence of events. And there's, like, no brevity. There's no jokes. There's no chilling because the, the movie is mostly plot already. But those little moments of, like... Ha, the blaster bolt went and hit this spot on the armor and it made a funny noise. Or, like, whatever. Those little things just aren't here. Um, You have to read into it really hard. And the art feels incredibly basic and extremely undercooked. I don't know how else to describe it. It's not really bad, but it's not even remotely near photorealistic. It's not really stylized either. It's just there, and it's inconsistent. The faces aren't great. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it just bounces around everywhere. It's just, it's a breezy read, but it's just probably never going to touch this again. I'm just going to put it on my Star Wars comic shelf and leave it alone. 
um, the one shot in the back end, which has a so the original like actual comic adaptation is written by Jody Hauser and has pencils by Emilio Leso. Um, the Cassian and K2 one shot, I do not remember the creative team. It's entirely different, and it was good. Um, wasn't anything uh, super amazing, but it's just the first time Ca- Cassian goes on a mission and he finds an Imperial droid and he brainwashes it. That's basically it. It's pretty straightforward. It's really short. It's nice. Uh, their characters I quite like, so I like reading it. I gave the whole thing like two out of five stars on Goodreads. It's not horrible, but it's like not really worth rereading and the one-shot inclusion really brings it up in the tail end. This is inevitable and I'm sure I'm going to have the same opinion about the solo adaptation. I hope I don't have it about the Mandalorian adaptation they're currently working on because they're giving that one like full issues for each episode, which could be better. They seem to be giving that way more time. But this comic came out six months, started coming out six months after the movie was already released, which means they had probably been working on it for like a year already. Yeah. And it, I don't understand why it's so undercooked for something that wasn't like, oh shit, we have to make a tie-in and it takes a month. Like this was clearly planned out ages ahead of time. They had months and months to work on this and it's just <laughs> not great. Colina. Do you have a suggested price on that? Oh shit, sorry. Uh, it was, I think... $16. I bought it at Jetpack full price. Buy the the Cassian and K2 one-shot for like five bucks. That's my recommendation. I don't see a reason to read this unless you're like a Rogue One nut job like me. That's about it. Like, there's no point in reading this. So just get the one-shot for like a couple of bucks because it's a trade. It's like a... That's a single issue. He Colin, thinking. my son. He thinking. Give me a question. Uh, yeah. I knew it. And what is a movie that you want to see adapted into a comic? What would mm-hmm. what uh, it would be better as a comic than a movie? A few moments later. Obviously, you have the creative license to make it better than the movie. It doesn't have to be I like know. frame for frame conversion. What type, what concept would have worked better? Uh, if you say the spirit, I will shoot you. <laughs> this is your punishment for taking a question. <laughs> no. So difficult. I don't know. I don't think I have an answer to that. Because I think most of the movies I've seen, I like them as movies. And more than comic books. Like, and then there's comic books that... Or the other way around. What comic would have made a better movie than a comic? Um, I, you know, I'm just hijacking your question and I'm answering it. Uh, I'm going to answer a different question. Um, what comic would you wish had a movie rather than its movie adaptation for its universe? So you know how there's Hellboy reboot three, right? Oh, there we go. Of course it's a Hellboy. Instead of reboot, they should have just done BPRD. Like how the comics just do a BPRD spinoff. I like that idea, but I will add on to that. Mm-hmm. They could have done a new continuity with a new Hellboy, mm-hmm. but done it in more of the Hellboy and the BPRD style. Yeah, not have Hellboy not, not as have... centric. Yes. So that way it gives it more breathing room away from the other two movies, but it still includes him and it's not like sometimes obligatory the... spinoff. Because if it, it, no one would watch a BPRD movie. Fuck you. I think they would. Okay, mainstream audiences probably probably wouldn't. No, they probably would. I think, I think they, you'd have people to, enjoy you'd Men have, in Black. You'd They'd have like to, BPRD. Then just go watch Men in Black. You'd, no, I'm saying Men in Black suck. Now that's a gay opinion. You'd have to drop off all Hellboy references. Not even sell it for that. Just be like, hey, this is this new thing. The BPRD. They do this. And then, oh, by the way, there's Hellboy. Whoa. Like, in the movie. Don't even say it in, in the advertisements. Like... It's a new property by Mike Mignola. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> There's a way to make that work. Don't even have the Hellboy connections until you're in the movie yeah. and you already have the people. I mean, Screen Rant would probably rat them out pretty early on, though, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. It would be inevitable. Who reads that shit? <laughs> most of the people on the internet most who watch these movies, passive nerds. That's most of the... Do- that's 90% of the people who watch movies, though. <laughs> it's kind of inevitable. Colin, why did you have a better question... 
than the question you were asked. Why did you do this? Because he had to loop it around to Hellboy. True. Because I'm smart. Thank you for listening. We are funded by our patron, Saint Jeff Lorenz. We had an interview with him earlier today. You should go and listen to that next. It will be getting uh, uploaded as a separate episode. It's yes. our little little two-year anniversary special to kick off season three of Dime Comic Bros podcast. Uh, we talked to him about his new re- newly released comic. Uh, my coworker is a vampire. Uh, just go ahead and you know go check out all of that stuff over there. But yes, Jeff does give us money. So you can, in theory, buy a spot on our show if you pay us enough money over time. All right. It was kind of our own idea. He had nothing to do with it. We were just like, hey, you want to do this thing this one time? So, yeah. Definitely give us money in the hopes that we talk to you. Other things that are included on our Patreon are exclusive clips and segments that get removed from this podcast, as well as on rare occasions our other podcast, Dime Gaming Bros., just some weird stuff that's usually too... Just weird tangents. Yeah, too spicy. That, that don't fit into the show or something that's way too spicy because Colin has no filter and it's funny, but we can't release it to the general public. Exactly. As well as a whole other podcast that we do, Dime Comic Bros Happy Hour, which we will be recording shortly after this once we let this room cool off with air conditioner. Because it's 95 degrees outside and we want to commit a hate crime. Exactly. Uh, where we just have a drink, have some coffee... Don't spread the cheeks of my book too far. Raggedy Ann. Um, Annabelle doll. It's Raggedy Ann. <gasps> I love Annabelle. He's crazy. Yeah, that's the Anna, the original Annabelle doll. Yeah. I think that was Raggedy Ann. Yeah, which is... Ba- no, which is it's Annabelle. different. No, the original Annabelle doll is Raggedy Ann. Well, yes. Patreon.com forward slash Dime Comic Bros. Also stickers and stuff. And bookmarks. Bookmarks are now coming. We are moving into new merchandise for this new season. We they got new stuff. at the printers right now. We've been saying they're coming. They are actually coming. I'm coming. We know, Colin. Um, as well as a big thank you to Jetpack's co- Jetpack Comics and Games, uh, a partner of this show. Uh, they are in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. They are a local comic book store. Go buy books there instead of buying them on Amazon. Buy Black Label books there. True. Go talk to Kyle and harass him for us. He knows so much stuff about everything. Big. big, And he's also wicked cool. Big brains. He definitely recognizes me but doesn't know my name. It's really funny. That's nice. They know my name. Hey, man, how you doing? Every time. (laughs) It's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of them really know my name either, but they recognize me. Yeah. They know my name. Because you talk way longer. And way too much. Them. It's like, I'm buying this book. No receipt. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. Um, uh, we have a whole bunch of new stuff coming out on our website and social media, so just keep an eye out or around whenever this episode goes up. There'll be new stuff. It'll be shiny and pretty. And shiny. The, the website will be getting some additions. You accidentally but... did the Firefly meme. <sighs> Something cool that we do actually need to mention is that our episodes are now going to be changing release dates. We are still going to be recording them the same, but they will be getting released earlier. Instead of, like, a week-long turnover for editing, we have trimmed it down. So, typically speaking, uh, we record an episode on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, and then that episode will then get released on Patreon early, usually around Wednesday. And then it will be released to the public on YouTube and all audio platforms on Fridays. So that way... The news isn't like three weeks old by the time we end up getting it out there, you know, so we're a little bit more relevant. We're not sitting on files as long because we're special. We're trimming off about three days for the general public and five days for Patreons, patrons, uh, Patreones for, for uh, turnaround time. So just be aware that episodes will be dropping on different days, which means that uh, this episode came out much sooner than normal compared to the last episode, which is the one that will be coming out tomorrow, but from when we're recording this. <laughs> it's up. all very confusing. Colin wrap it up. Colin's dude. feeling the migraine I feel all the time. But hopefully you will be receiving less stale news now. This is true. Uh, thank you for listening. Go like our stuff. Tune in next week for more things. I don't actually remember what we're talking about. We will all find out. It's a surprise. Together. Bye.